0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now.
1: Here's a bit of what you missed from the member portion of our conversation on Thursday's podcast with former U.S. Acting Solicitor General Neil Katyal.
2: I think there is a connection, actually, between Build Back Better and the January 6th investigation because... This is the same Congress that, you know, has struggled to pass any sort of legislation and couldn't even authorize a bipartisan January 6th investigation, even though January 6th featured the first attack on our Capitol since 1812. And the partisanship has gotten so nuts that virtually no one is interested in doing the right thing on anything.
1: To become a member and receive access to bonus content on Mondays and Thursdays, and access to David's analysis and opinion on Wednesdays and Fridays, please visit bit.ly slash dsrmember. For a limited time, enter October launch, one word, at checkout, and receive 10% off your membership. Thank you and enjoy the episode.
2: 9, 12, 10, 28. 23. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am your host, David Rothkopf, coming to you from New York City joining us today as we're recording on Monday, and therefore, as usual, from Corey, I don't know where you are. I'm looking at a picture of you.
0: So I am in Arlington, getting ready to talk to a group of army generals about civil-military relations, Rosa.
2: That's good, and that's good for our national security to know that you're doing that. Rosa, of course, has left town and is at an undisclosed location again. Somewhere west of the Mississippi. How are you today, Rosa Brooks? I'm very
3: well, David.
2: And we are joined today by an old friend who now has the glorious title of world and national security editor at Politico. Ben Parker. How are you, Ben?
4: I'm great. I've got my deep state radio mug from the last time I was on the show, which was way too long ago.
2: Way too long ago. Well, now you've got this fantastic job, and I want to congratulate you. I One of my new must reads on a daily basis is the national security brief you guys put out at Politico, which is just terrific. It's a terrific daily read on what's going on in areas of our interest here. So congrats.
4: Thanks, boss. I appreciate it. Alex Ward, who is the lead writer of that, does a great job. Try and scoop some news every day.
2: Yeah, there's news and stuff. Well, let's kick off with that. You know, um, I don't know if you you picked it up in your national security brief, Ben, but the president of the United States is not in the United States right now. He's in
4: Europe. I got to jump off to edit, actually.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. And uh, he spent the first part of his trip at the G20 meeting. Uh, He met with the Pope before that. He met at the G20 meeting. And let's start with that. It seemed to me, but I'm already known in these parts as a hopeless Biden shill, had a very productive trip. He had a productive trip because they advanced this global 15% minimum corporate tax, which is a U.S. developed idea pushed by Janet Yellen and being adopted around the world and actually sort of changing the global tax landscape in a material way. He had a material trip because he listened to Corey Shockey. And Corey said last week, we don't have enough trade policy. So they did a kind of a breakthrough deal with the Europeans on aluminum and steel policy to try to get trade going there again. Ben, what's your take on the president's trip? And am I just a hopeless Biden show?
4: Yes, but no, Um... (laughs) no. No, look, I think look at the domestic situation at home. By any comparison, you know, it feels like a relief or it must feel like a relief for the president to leave Washington to do the kind of face to face meetings with foreign leaders that he is quite good at and that he so clearly enjoys. I think you're right, David, that there were some maybe marginals too small a word, but some some gains from this trip that he was uh, able to realize I am a little bit skeptical as to whether or not this global minimum tax of 15% that I think is going to include 136 countries will actually result in the kind of numbers that the administration touts as coming back in in revenue to the treasury. We all know that international corporations are pretty good at evading taxes and by my count that leaves some 70 other countries outside this agreement at which they can Offshore assets and evade and find their loopholes, but I think there was some some substantial benefit at the G20, where as we know, Vladimir Putin didn't show up, Chinese President Xi Jinping wasn't there, so Biden had the advantage of being the leader of the free world on the global stage. I think the big question that remains to be seen is, you know, he's now off to Glasgow for the COP26 climate change summit, where it's pretty hard, you know, the the administration has made some or sort of put forth some compelling targets for what they'd like to achieve. But again, the problem is not overseas, it's back in Washington where Congress won't allow it, where he's fighting with his own party. So, so far, a good trip, but it's hard to see in in my opinion enormous gains from from his second trip overseas.
2: Okay, well we'll come to the Glaswegian aspects of this thing. Shortly. But, Corey, first of all, I would like to turn to you and ask, did the president respond directly to your request for some trade action here? (laughs) Are you pleased with that? Um, Should he do more?
0: Yes, he should do more. The global minimum tax is a fabulous idea. But Janet Yellen delivered this some time ago. That wasn't an outcome of the G20, even if they managed to twist some more arms, rope some more folks in. It's good progress and they deserve credit for it, but it's not an outcome of the G20 meeting. Second thing, an aluminum and steel deal with Europe is such a yawn, given how little that is of
3: transatlantic. Sorry, that is so offensive to aluminum and steel.
4: <laughs> you Remember, quite interesting. Corey, the EU was founded on a steel deal. <laughs>
0: Indeed, and the United States was founded on finance and slavery agriculture, and yet we have moved past that, and we must also move past thinking about the transatlantic economies as the coal and steel community, and we're going to have to do so much more than that if we're going to actually align the economies of the free world in a way that positions us to take advantage of the fabulous creativity of our own economies and move forward. So no, not nearly enough, but the most important thing President Biden did at the G20 was apologize again to the president of France as it actually matters to make the French feel better about the AUKUS agreement because the agreement's fabulous. It's a great idea. It, it reminds us all that Australia is a frontline state deserving of our support commercially, technologically, militarily. And it gives Britain a Pacific vocation that is good for us all and is natural given the Commonwealth status of Australia. But the way the Biden administration did it was such a clumsy, unforced error. And that is almost exactly what President Biden said to the president of France. In fact, President Biden threw his own secretary of state and national security advisor under the bus saying, I thought France had been told about this, which bodes ill for the ability of the national security advisor and secretary of state to speak with the committed voice of the president. But they probably both deserve it for the fact that we did it in a way that maximized the downsides and stepped all over the positive storyline that is the AUKUS agreement. So it was great the president did it. You can't apologize too many times. Apologies are free. We should all indulge them more often than we do. And if it brings France, which after all, like us, is a Pacific power. There are French citizens in the Pacific. We need and want their help there. And we shouldn't have stepped on that.
2: So, Rosa, I think it may be time to take away Corey's glittering crown of optimism, because, you know, she sounds like a sourpuss to me. And,
3: oh, uh, I you thought know, that he, was very peppy.
2: The, <laughs> yes, her energy. I mean, Corey herself is bubbly. <laughs> as all get out. But but let's be you know, clear about this. She doesn't seem to be appreciating all this. I, if AUKUS is such a great deal and all it took was an apology to the French to make things right, it doesn't seem like that was too high a cost. What do you think of all this, Rosa?
3: Oh, you're trying to make me talk about submarines and I won't. Um, <laughs> but I think it's good that Biden apologized. I am not a Biden shill, but I do somehow seem to be on the mailing list of whoever it is, sends out adulatory press releases after things like the G20. So I've received a number of emails noting the incredible breakthroughs and precedent setting stunning moves. But but I, I agree with, with Ben that although it clearly was has it's been a good week for Biden, it's been a good trip, but it hasn't been a great trip. I mean, we haven't seen, which, which is not surprising, by the way. I mean, I think it would have been totally unrealistic to expect Biden to achieve more than he did. But although there was lots of feel good stuff at the G20, and I'm sure there'll be more feel good stuff in, in Glasgow. Um, nobody ever feels good in Glasgow unless they're a pub, actually. So never mind. We'll come back to that. Although there was lots of feel good stuff, which is that which, as Corey says, is important. You know, it does matter. You know, those relationships, those face to face relationships do make a difference. But despite all the feel good stuff, you know, the, the structural barriers to getting meaningful progress on either the economic issues or, or the climate issues coming up. Are, are enormous uh, in terms of both the barriers caused by domestic constituencies, not just for Biden but for many other world leaders as well, and in terms of the you know the, just the sheer economic costs uh, of doing the things that we know we have to do. the, the, the near-term economic costs are going to be significant, and it's, and it's a hard sell. You know, Jake Sullivan was denouncing uh, the Chinese on climate change, and quite rightly, but I have to say. It would be fair for many others around the globe to make similar complaints about the United States, not because the Biden administration isn't trying. I think they're trying their darndest, but because congressional gridlock is making it virtually impossible for the US as well as for China. Well, they have different different reasons for their reluctance to fully join in, but the gridlock in Congress for us is making it impossible for us I think and will continue to make it very difficult for us to deliver on the promises that we're making. That said, I'm very happy about the global corporate tax. That's pretty cool.
2: It is pretty cool, even if Corey is, you know, minimizing it. You know, they finally got everybody to sign up on it. But more more, more importantly, it looks like it is going to be part of this uh reconciliation package that the Democrats are going to put through. So it's actually going to become law here and Despite the fact that Ben Parker feels squeamish about it, the administration says that it's going to bring $60 billion a year or $600 billion over the next decade into U.S. federal coffers. I don't know if they consulted you on that, Ben, but uh,
4: no one asked.
2: No one asked that. No, you don't get any respect. But I have to say, you know, Ben, you've been covering things like this since the Treaty of Vienna. For a G20, it's a pretty good outcome.
4: I guess it's a pretty good outcome. These summits can be pretty bland. They can be pretty dry. I guess what I'm wondering about is I hate to sort of bring us back to this, these sort of eternal questions of the Biden doctrine. But, you know, this president hasn't yet sort of evinced, you know, he's a steady hand on the tiller. I think he's sort of tried to say that we've turned a page from the past four years of the previous president, that he's here to engage with global leaders. But some of the things that seem most sort of pertinent to, uh, you know, at least a foreign policy strategy are really difficult things for other countries to get behind. You look at the administration's China policy, which is in many ways a continuation of the Trump policy, and Macron sat out a critical supply chain meeting, whether it was out of a, you know, fit of peak over August, or whether it's because the French are disinclined to sign up to a strong anti-China policy.
2: Oh, come on. You know it's because the latter. It's not the former. It's not because of a fit of peak over AUKUS. The French are taking a kind of soft line on the Chinese, right? I mean, that's what they're I mean, saying. Yes, they,
4: they have. And, and the Germans have as well under Merkel. They sort of walked a, a tightrope there. But, you know, that's a central element of this administration's foreign policy. And it's a difficult thing at a venue like the G20 to get a bunch of countries there signing up to this. I mean, India isn't going to at this point, even though they've joined to the quad, they are waffling back and forth. And, you know, I think it's even difficult with European leaders who are there en masse, of course, uh, in Rome. So, you know, look, David, I think my my read on this is that it was a useful G20, that there are some small wins that Rosa gets bombarded you know with emails from the administration touting the victories but it remains to be seen and and much of these wins will have to come in congress not from executive action overseas
2: yeah i mean there's you know it's a g20
1: meeting hello deep state listeners we're working hard to bring you additional programming and we'd like for you to help shape it by completing our survey those who complete the survey will be entered to win one of three guest appearances on a future episode of Deep State Radio. To complete the survey, please visit bit.ly slash dsrsurvey2021. That's bit.ly slash dsrsurvey2021. Now back to the show.
2: You know, Rosa, when you go from having your Steadiest hand be Tillerson to a steady hand on the tiller.
4: Ugh. Oh, God.
0: No, not, oh, no. David, that was ghastly. Um, uh-uh.
2: You know, I had my COVID booster this morning and a flu shot.
0: <laughs> okay, you get a pass.
2: Okay, so the <laughs> fact, and it affects you, and obviously, a side effect is that it, it really impairs your sense of humor. Um, <laughs>
3: really?
2: I didn't know that, but uh, I mixed and matched with my booster. You
3: know, That's the why fetish. the anti-vaxxers object, you know, that they they have none of them. But, it, you know, people can't tell a joke once they get the vaccine. Yeah.
0: I was going to make a different point, which is the anti-vaxxers are the people who seem most lacking in any sense of humor or perspective.
2: Mm, well, they have less to lose, sure. I suppose. One of the things we've been saying about Biden not we, but many people have been saying about Biden as well, Afghanistan, he blew up global standing, global standing is terrible, blah 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 blah. There's some polling evidence to suggest that's not the not the truth, and it kind of sort of seems like he just sort of slid back into doing what America does. I mean, the thing that Rosa got, I'm sure I get the same thing in the mail, but you know it's it's like America's back was way up at the top of the thing, and then. Somewhere near the the top of the thing was also, this is what foreign policy for the middle class looks like, which I know is a fave of yours also, Corey. But, you know, it seems kind of, my joke aside, kind of the way, you know, foreign policy is conducted by professional administrations normally. And, you know, maybe he shouldn't get a blue ribbon for that, but it's a change of pace.
0: Biden is being judged by the standard Biden set right? Which is America's back. We're good at alliances. And we're only so-so alliances, to be honest. But that's not newly the case in the Biden administration. And I do agree with your premise, David, that foreign policy in the Trump administration, to the extent it was worthwhile, was from the awkward circumstance of cabinet members working against an elected president, which is philosophically uncomfortable for me. I feel like presidents deserve cabinets who are going to carry out their preferred policies. Presidents have a right to that. But Trump was so anomalous that I wrung my hands and compromised my principles for what I thought were better outcomes. It is nice to see the normal range of allied anxieties and the normal range of foreign policy complaints. Once again, we're about to come up to another one with the Biden administration because the, the president's advocates, the people who want to define the Biden doctrine want to change declaratory U S nuclear policy and the establishment, by which I mean to say the civil servants and the military and the career diplomats in the Pentagon and the State Department do not. Moreover, American allies worry. They've been all over the newspapers this week expressing their concern that a change in U.S. declaratory nuclear policy would upend extended deterrence and be a terrible thing. So the conclusion from this is what the allies learned from Biden administration execution in Afghanistan and in AUKUS is that preemption, that is going public with what you're worried they might do, is a better strategy than banking on them to do the right thing. The thing that is in allied interests. And actually... That's a great strategy for dealing with the United States, which to circle back to my starting point, you know, we're a so-so ally. We only think we're a great
4: ally. David, if I can preempt with a question. Yeah, go on, go on, go on,
2: <laughs> preempt with a question. I was just going <laughs> to point out that Corey was advocating, that, that it was I'd saying that the allies to defend the no first use policy were taking a first use policy with criticism. And, you know, that this, you know, she seems to think this is going. But I was also going to say, I resemble this remark because I clearly think we should move past the no first use policy. But then I'm one of those. Wait,
0: wait we don't have a no first use policy.
2: I I, I understand. I was that's shorthand.
4: Um, Can I ask this but, little question? It seems crazy to me that the Biden administration sent out a questionnaire to allies
0: Wait, I don't know right. this.
4: Tell this me. is what this is what sort of precipitated the scoop over the weekend, you know, about allies complaining about you no know, first use versus sole purpose. Apparently, the Biden administration or someone, and I will say, you know, our reporters are you're, trying to figure out market whom. research
3: on which phrase people like better. Seriously, they asked a what if
4: questionnaire. I don't know if it was multiple choice. I think oh. we have our hands on it or are getting it. But it seems absurd. And I almost wonder if this was someone at the Pentagon sending this out willy-nilly because they have very different opinions of the in the of the you know from the administration. And so we're seeing, Do
3: you think this is real or an actual questionnaire as opposed this that seems that's very what the financial bizarre.
4: that's what the Financial Times reported over the weekend. and i so we have a we have I a copy of this questionnaire.
0: the integrity of the Pentagon and say that even those, Quick trigger leakers are nowhere near as fast as every single NATO ally would have been to get in touch with your reporters.
4: Exactly. Right. No, that's true. Right. That is true. But it's it no seems bizarre to, think to me. No reason the Pentagon
0: did this. There are twenty-seven NATO allied defense ministries that are probably. Probably sending copies around. Wait, it. Wait, I'm no, fascinated
3: by this, though. I, I, I want to yeah. know exactly who the what's the email list to whom you send this questionnaire. Like, dear France, you know, <laughs>
0: <laughs> it would <laughs> have to come from the White House. <laughs> totally. That's that the question. That question.
2: <laughs> that's the question. Who did it come from?
3: <laughs> and is it real or is it satire?
2: <laughs> well, yeah. Well, sounds like it's, satire. Yeah, but I think what it's Ben easier. was saying was not that the Pentagon leaked it, right, Ben? What you were saying was that this could have been something that was circulated in order to build up pushback against a considered policy, right?
4: Yes, that that's right.
0: And I'm saying the Pentagon. You know, you're right to suspect them, but they would be nowhere near as fast as America's allies for whom this
4: has actual security consequences. And that's who we heard the pushback from.
0: Yeah,
3: it's, I mean, but as, know, NATO. Out...
4: Sorry, go ahead, Rose.
3: No, I'm sorry, Ben. Um, I, I mean, as you know, Ben, you asked this question earlier. Does it Does not matter? In, and as Corey and David know, my take on this is that it really doesn't matter because everybody knows that no matter what we say, we'll do what we want to do if it comes down to it. You know, And I think our allies know that, too. So I think a lot of the yelping is just posturing. And I'm sure that no matter what language we eventually adopt, if we adopt any change at all, we will do private assurances, you know, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, this isn't a real change. I mean, this is the slightly, you know, for better or for worse, right? I don't actually, maybe I'm being too cynical about this, but I don't for one minute believe that any language or official so-called policy change is going to in any way tie anybody's hands ever or reflect, you know, a real policy change.
0: So I agree with your judgment that in the extremist circumstance in which the United States would contemplate the use of nuclear weapons, we wouldn't be bound by doctrinal statements. But I don't go so far as you as to say they don't matter, Rosa, right? Like language matters. That's why diplomacy matters. And that allies are, as you say, yelping about this is actually reason to take them seriously, because because otherwise we're back to the Trump administration of saying, watch what we do. Don't listen to anything we're saying.
3: It's not that I think language doesn't matter. I mean, you're right, of course, that language matters. But obviously, this would not be the first time that if if there is a change, it would not be the first time that official pronouncements designed to please one particular constituency, are accompanied by, you know, backroom assurances that we're doing nothing of the kind. So I, it's happened before. I, I, and I think that if ever there was an issue on which everybody knows that the language probably doesn't really matter, this is, this is it.
2: I, I think that's a useful insight. I agree with Corey's point. But I, I do think that uh, everybody must take this kind of language with an especially large grain of salt.
4: I am told that we don't have the questionnaire yet, but it came from state and stay tuned to National Security Daily. And I will alert the millions of listeners of Deep State Radio once we get it.
2: That would be great. And we will we will immediately let them all know another good reason to follow National Security Daily. The format of our show underwent a little bit of a change the other day when we started to take a break right about at this point. And uh, following the break, uh, those who are members will continue on with us. Those who are not members will miss out on our discussion on Glasgow and COP26. So you don't want to be part of that group. So you should probably uh, quickly go become a member now because I'm going to take a break and we're going to be back in just a matter of seconds.